mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world, then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guests, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Welcome to Ditch Digger CEO today. Gary Rabine here with a uh, great guest, Greg Gallant. I've got uh, my producer, Chris, on board and my nephew, Joey. Um, you know, we're any one of us can throw questions here at, at Greg and uh, challenge him a little bit, talking about his uh, his entrepreneurial uh, drive and where he's gone in his life. Greg is a fellow YPOer and a smart man living in Miami, Florida. That's uh, it's a great place to be. So, uh, welcome, welcome, Greg, to, for, uh, to be on our show today. I really appreciate you being here, taking the time to be here for us. Great to be here, Gary. Thanks for having me on. So, Greg, we interview uh, you know rags riches stories a lot. You know, people that have that built something that serve a serve a purpose and strive to be great at what they do. Um, you know, YPO is an indicator. For for me, often that uh, we've got somebody that's that's living that that that, that focus, right? Trying to be the best they can be, what they do, building a great business, um, surrounded by you know constant education, you know, great core values, and all these things. And I know that's kind of who you are, Greg. So we, we want to just talk about you, talk, tell your story, and uh, we want to learn something from you. All right, we're here to learn. We know you're a wise guy, and uh, you know not the wise guys we see in Chicago, okay, but just a wise individual. And uh, we're here to learn from you, buddy. So you got, uh, like I said, the three of us might throw stuff at you. And at the end, our goal is to, uh, you know, there's a book called The Laws of Success, an old book that I read years ago that I liked a lot. And it's just basically at the end, we just want to go over uh, what we've heard as, you know, different different laws of success that Greg sees um, that's created the, the success he's had and that will continue to uh, deliver the success that you expect in the future. Are you in? Are you all in? Sounds great. Let's do this. All right. All right. Hey, Greg, thanks to be here. Yes, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, you know, I know a little about your business. I run up on you and stuff, but I want to hear from you. Kind of uh, you know, what uh, a little bit about your upbringing, a little how you got into this business and where it's gone and, and uh, you know, customers you serve and how you strive to be great. That's great. Well, I'm a, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 14, building websites for businesses. And this was in the uh, late 90s. So it was me going out to businesses and convincing them why they need a website, not why they should choose me, a teenager, to build it, but just like, why would you ever need a website? Why would you need an email? That was kind of my first taste of trying to convince people to adopt new technologies. And then fast forward to when I graduated uh, college in 2005. Uh, well, as I was um, Finishing college, I had an opportunity to work at uh, CNN.com. I went to college in Atlanta. And so I was working part-time at CNN.com. And I was pushing them uh, to, to find a way to distribute the audio news they had on iPods, which were the hot new thing, Apple, you know, the predecessor yeah. to the iPhone. I find I have to describe it now. Yeah, I'm sure you you and I know that, Carrie, when I talk to teenagers, like, What's an iPod? You know, it's it's uh, makes me feel really old. But so so the iPod had just come out. I thought, hey, it'd be so cool. I kept getting stuck in Atlanta traffic. Like, why can't I download news content to the iPod? Start looking around, and I saw there was this new idea called RSS feeds with enclosures. Sounds very geeky, and and the term hadn't come out yet, but that later got rebranded podcasts because iPods, you'd casting new MP3s onto the iPod. And, and back then you needed third-party software. It wasn't built into the Apple software yet, but I was kind of obsessed with this idea of uh, podcasting way early on. So back in 2005, I thought, hey, I'll start a podcast 
just to see how it all works. This, you know, when I was, I guess, I don't know, 22 or 23 when I was graduating school, and I thought would be a would be a topic. And my idea was to do, you know, what's now a more familiar format, but at the time hadn't really been done before, and just interview entrepreneurs about how they got started. So I, I it sounds familiar. A <laughs> little bit. And you know, back then there was like so little people now I think entrepreneurs growing up are spoiled because they can listen to great podcasts like yours. And, and so many entrepreneurs are out there blogging, tweeting, uh, you know, doing their own podcasts. Or, there's lots of knowledge you can get now. But back in 05, it was just like you'd read Inc. Magazine once a month. And that was about every industry. So if you're into tech, you know, you might just be reading about someone who has a construction company. Or you just read in your local newspaper like a 500-word story about area man, area woman starts company and then... You know, it's just like they start the company and then there's like one paragraph in the middle of them and then they sold it for a hundred million dollars. Yeah. I was always just like, wait, wait, what'd they do in between? Like, how do you get from like the idea to actually working business? So I kind of took that idea where I just wanted to learn about podcasting. I wanted to, I was passionate about entrepreneurship. So I started this podcast called Venture Voice back in 2005. And I just started cold calling people. Venture all, Voice? You get Venture Voice? Venture Voice, yeah. And it's still all up on iTunes. I later brought it back for kind of a uh, encore encore season. But so this is back. Yeah, if you go on iTunes, you can see it's 2005 to whatever. It's a unusual date. And I interviewed all these entrepreneurs who went on to greatness. And I wish I had money to invest back then because it would have been like, I would have been like one of the top angel investors ever. I interviewed Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, back when LinkedIn had 50 employees. I'm pretty sure it was the first podcast he was ever on. Uh, the founder of Yelp. Uh, then I got bigger names like uh, Jack Bogle, the founder of the Vanguard Group back uh, back before he uh, passed away, and lots of other great uh, entrepreneurs. One of the people I had on my podcast was Ev Williams, who is working on a podcasting company himself back in like 0506 called Odeo. And uh, I, I kind of stayed in touch with him because we were both innovating around podcasting. Odeo didn't work out. So I watched him pivot from Odeo to a little side project called Twitter. And so that led me to, uh, to sign up for Twitter way early. So I'm just at Gregory on Twitter. I didn't even call in a favor, like no one had registered Gregory yet. So I got my first name on Twitter. Wow. And then I logged in early on. And, you know, back in 06, it really was people like tweeting what they had for lunch and all that. So I didn't get it at first. But then over time, I saw it developing. And, and what really took me aback about Twitter, and I, I should back up, I, I was early on Facebook because it, it rolled out when I was in college. And the school I went to happened to be one of the first 13 colleges they targeted before they opened it up to everybody. Uh, so I'd seen the other social platforms, but what made Twitter entirely unique in when it came out was that it was the first kind of social media platform you could be good at because Facebook was just still locked down to your friends. You'd never be like, oh, this person's good at Facebook, go friend them. It'd be like, wait, I'm just going to see my friends on Facebook. Instagram yeah. didn't exist yet. Uh, YouTube was just getting started and was more pirated content. So... Twitter really struck me as like it's a content creator platform. That led me to think like how could, but there was no way to figure out like who's good at creating content by topic. So I had this idea along with my uh, my co-founder, Lee Semmel, that we could build a site where you could vote for who's the best on Twitter by category and just task say, I, I nominate, you know, hat so-and-so for hashtag whatever shorty award. So you could vote with a tweet, and then we built a site that'd be like a real-time leaderboard. We didn't even promise that there'd be an award show. We just put up the website. We called it the Shorty Awards because tweets are short. And within 24 hours, the Shorty Awards became the top trending term on Twitter. The Shorty Awards. Yeah. They're still going today. It's still the uh, largest award show. It's now all of social media. But it kind of took off by surprise. And we, we found, um, 
And I kind of had like an oh shit moment because I realized people are going to actually want to show up to this thing and have a real award show. So I dropped everything, announced it'd be, I announced it, it would take place two months after it went viral because I was worried that the Twitter fad might end before we do the show. Because uh, this is back in the days of Friendster and, and everyone thinking that social networks were very ephemeral. And which who knows, maybe they will turn out to be. But <laughs> um, so so we we dropped everything, organized the first Shorty Awards in exactly two months. It was the most intense period of my life. We found, had to find a venue, sponsors. We flew in people from all around the world. We, we had MC Hammer that first year. Gary Vaynerchuk, Shaquille O'Neal, a lot of like the early people who were on uh, on social. And then at the shorties, what, what really took me aback was how much press we got. So right after we went viral, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, BBC, all covered the shorty awards. And I know from launching uh, other things in the past, and we have more time, I've, I've launched things that haven't worked too, uh, that, that I edited in the short intro, but... Um, uh, I, I'd always try to get press for my own stuff, and I knew it was really hard. But with the Shorty Awards, it, it was this kind of almost jokey idea, but it got a ton of press. And I realized that like journalists were using social media to figure out what to write about and to distribute their work. So that led to launching the first version of, uh, of Muckrack, that's M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K, uh, we launched the first version back in 2009 is a free website where you could just see all the journals in one place. And then uh, became very popular with journalists. We had over 10,000 requests to get listed on there. And then I started talking to PR people and they were all telling me like, hey, we love using your website. Um, we're using it to figure out who we should pitch on a story idea to get our clients in the news or get the companies we work for in the press. So we realized like, oh, that's interesting. Like you're using our site to do your job. Uh, we didn't build it with that use case in mind and we also weren't charging, but we thought, hey, if we could build a bunch of tools for the PR people, we could give them more value and we could charge for it. And I, I, and one of the lessons I learned doing the shorties, it was all very, it was always profitable but it was always nerve wracking because every year we had to start from zero and get go sign sponsors up and all that. Uh, so we never knew if we'd make money and we had to make all these big commitments on venues. Every year I'd sweat if we could, uh, you know, if we get stuck with all the expenses and no revenue. Hey, where, where did you have the first uh, events? And then uh, where do you have them nowadays, right? Oh yeah, so the first one was in, in Dumbo, Brooklyn, where our first office was, this trend, now trendy part of Brooklyn. It wasn't trendy when we were there. Uh, it stands for down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. And then we moved it into Manhattan. Uh, uh, the most recent one before the, uh, before the pandemic was at the PlayStation Theater in Times Square. It was a thousand person event with celebrities, social media influencers, brands and agencies were also getting honored. So it'd become a pretty, pretty large scale event. And then now we're, uh, we went virtual during the pandemic and now we're bringing it back to being in person. Okay. So you're, you're, you're virtual up until now. Now where are you going with it? Uh, yeah, now we're, we'll be announcing it soon, but we're bringing it back in person. We, we're gonna, we're splitting up events between, uh, New York and LA. Wow. Cool. Okay. So, so muckrack kind of, uh, evolved out of this. Is that right? And because you realized you were doing a great service to PR and all that, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, exactly. So we decided to relaunch it as a, uh, what's called a SaaS platform, software as a service, basically in, uh, you know, uh, uh, anything you use online, Salesforce, QuickBooks online, that's all SaaS where you pay pay a monthly or annual fee to access the software. So we had this idea we could keep it free for journalists. And we've actually since expanded it to podcasters and content creators, so it's free for them. But then charge to use this platform for companies, PR departments, and PR agencies that helps them do three things. Uh, the first is like find the right journalist or podcaster or newsletter writer the right people to reach out to about a press opportunity. 
to get attention. The second is to monitor their mentions in the media. So this would be re less relevant for a really small business, but if you're a large company and you're getting lots of press worldwide, you have to know like what's being written about you or or in print about you or even mentioned about you on TV in real time so you can react to it and stay on top of a news cycle. And the third piece is PR reporting. So again, if you're uh, a company and probably a little more relevant for larger companies, but you'd want to show, hey, if I'm Pepsi, how much press did I get? How does that compare to how much press Coca-Cola got? Or are there direct competitors? How much of the press was positive or negative? How many of the stories that were placed uh, have our key messaging in it? How many of the stories that were placed did our PR team talk to before it was written? Everything you'd want to know to kind of know how you're doing in the media. Cool. And, and, and uh, how would a business use, you know, Muckrack now? Let's say, let's say a mid-sized business, $50 million company. You know, our, you know, 50, $100 million company is similar to what we see wipe. And we have YPO maybe it's an average, you know, growing YPO company. Is there is there ways you could use Muckrack uh, for the, for their for their growth in PR that that you're finding is invaluable? Yeah, definitely. So broadly, we're seeing kind of the challenges a lot of businesses are having is that paid media is getting harder. You know, if you want to pay for advertising, uh, the costs have gone up a lot on all these platforms. Due to Apple's privacy crackdown, you can't target your customers as well with paid media. And the economy, you know, the money supply is a lot tighter now, so you can't get capital as easily to just plow into your marketing budget. So that's where the idea of earned media or public relations, it, it's a lot more efficient because you can tell your story for free, right? Like you, you invited me on this podcast, I have a chance to tell my story and I'm not, uh, not paying you anything, or, you know, at least I hope I don't get the Venmo, uh, request on you after this. Uh, but no, it's very, very generous of you to have me on. And, and that's why it's earned, right? You thought I was interesting enough to have on your podcast and you want me on because, you know, hopefully I'll be, uh, valuable in some way to your audience. So if you're an entrepreneur out there, you know, especially at that scale of business, it's going to be a lot more efficient to grow your business with PR or earned media opportunities than it is to pay for it. But if you really want to optimize that, I mean, you can wait for someone to come to you. Um, but if you, if you want to really take advantage of that, it's much better to be proactive. And what we let you do with our technology is to search and figure out like which are the right people to reach out to based on everything they've written about, podcasted about, tweeted about in past. So you can go on and say, hey, I need to find, uh, I'm looking at my uh, folding bicycle that's in my office right now. So if I were the PR person for a folding bicycle company, I could say, show me the journalists that have written about folding bicycles before. Show me the podcasters that put in their bio that they're into cycling. Uh, you could kind of work all these creative angles to figure out who are the right people to put on your media list. And then we have an entire workflow so you can build your list of people to reach out to. You can kind of customize emails off a template to each one. So it's personalized, but it's done in a very efficient manner because it's got the workflow built in. And then it's got relationship tracking, kind of similar to like a CRM if you were in sales. Sure. It's up to all for these earned media opportunities. So you can keep track of like what stage you're at with everybody that you've reached out to. You can keep your notes if they if they say, hey, I'm not going to interview you now because you're not at the right revenue le le level yet. You could put that in a note. And then when you look back next year, you can be reminded, oh, I should reach back out to Gary because now I'm ready to come on his podcast. So it's kind of got everything you need for that. The only caveat cool. I give is, you know, it still takes time, just like sales, right? You could buy Salesforce. You still need salespeople. If you're going to use our software, uh, someone needs to be willing to put in the time. So it could be that you hire a full-time PR person, you could hire a PR contractor, or you might just decide, hey, your marketing person should spend 25% of their time doing PR. And some CEOs even decide, you know what, hey, what, it, it's you know a powerful enough thing for them to spend time on. You can see even like you read the Steve Jobs biography, the one written by Walter Isaacson, like Steve Jobs would call Walt, Mo Walt Mossberg, the uh, the tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal at the time, 
every Sunday and speak to him for an hour when he came back to Apple about his plans because Steve Jobs realized like PR is that important and he wanted to shape the narrative. You can see it now, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, he's always tweeting at Kara Swisher and all these other journalists because he realizes shaping the media narrative matters. And one of the secrets that a lot of, I think a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs don't know, they feel like, oh, I got to hire a PR person to talk to the journalist because the PR person's an expert at talking to the journalist. But actually, if you talk to most PR people, they'll tell you that journalists would rather hear from the entrepreneur or the CEO. Sure. They're always getting pitched by the PR people. They want to hear from people in power and they want to hear from the decision makers. So if you're an entrepreneur right. or a CEO, like it, it'd be a great idea to hire, get a PR person to advise you. But put, if you put some of your own time into it and do that outreach yourself, you'll get much better results. Sure. Yeah, that, that, and there's not much that gets lost that, in that conversation, right? I like that. Okay, so when you look, when you look at uh, you know, cost for a mid-sized company to, to use Muckrack, and let's say they have a PR person, marketing person, or you know, somebody on their team, an assistant that spends 30, 40, 50% of time, you know, managing it, right? Using using a muckrack muckrack for the efficiency, uh, you know, that it is. Um, you know, what tell me what what's the cost of that on a monthly basis? Let's say. Yeah, so all, all of our pricing is annual. We we kind of quote it depending on the exact use case. We've always had um, we found in our market people really like to work with uh, sales teams to get kind of the right quote. But you know, it's several thousand uh, several thousand bucks. So it's uh, a whole lot cheaper than. You know, compared to someone's salary, it's a small fraction of what you'd be paying them. Not that it replaces pe- the person, but that it makes, you know, it can double or triple their efficiency. And it's, you know, dropping the bucket compared to a paid media uh, ad budget. So our, our customers find it very, very efficient spend. Cool. Okay. So like, we're, uh, you know, my Chris here that's, uh, that produces this podcast with me, my buddy Chris. Um, you know, we're, we've been talking, I've got a bunch of goals in our businesses still, as any YPOR does, right, to, to scale and grow things. And we're, we're maybe a quarter billion dollars of businesses today under the Rayback Group of companies. And our biggest one is paving parking lots. We, we pave a lot of parking lots all over America, um, from, you know, your area to, you know, Midwest to West to the East and all that. And uh, so we, we uh, are not, I'm now going on a you know, acquisition, uh, acquisition, um, uh, you know, seven-year plan basically of acquisition. I want to acquire 20 to 30 companies, mom and pop companies that are, you know, kind of probably stop growing in their marketplace. Um, we're going to, we're going to inject capital. We're going to inject technology, artificial intelligence, 3D technology and paving, all the things that we know can take them from the mom and pop to, to a, a CEO running a 40 to $60 million company in their marketplace, in their, in their local marketplace. So we picked uh, we 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 picked about five locations right now. We're going after Tampa being one of them, um, uh, Nashville being another one, and so on. But either way, we're going to have 25, 20 to thirty locations. We're going to we're going to partner by the majority of these small companies, and then we're going to grow them, kind of like what we were years ago. Uh, we want to grow them, and what we are today in major markets it's like Dallas and Chicago and, and Mid Atlantic to to the larger commercial paid companies in the marketplace. But I'm actually I'm actually talking about doing this. It's a it's basically um, the road road to a billion dollar brand. And our painting businesses are probably you know two hundred million valuation, hundred fifty to two million two hundred million dollar valuation currently on the painting companies that we own. Um, so I want to build a billion dollar brand, be the first one in the country like it, first one in the world probably like it because it's really kind of a mom and pop focused industry. So so uh, Greg, we want to do this. Excuse me. We want, to, we want to do this, and we want to probably do this. With, we want to build a story. This, uh, you know, this real story that's going to happen. And we're going to, we're going to, we want to get these uh, different characters, right? People from our team that'll help me do the evaluations to um, those companies we're buying, and the, the mountain pots we're buying. The, the leader that we recognize as the potential leader for the future in the business, the marketplace they have compared to the marketplace we think we can capture, and all these things, basically. On building, uh, uh, you know, this this road to a billion dollar brand. So it sounds like we could use what you have, right? Use what you have to help in the PR in every market we're going to do this in, or even across the country. Yeah. So your goal is to find to to kind of capture the attention of these people who might be interested in selling their paving businesses. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, there's a little bit. Mom and pops are, let's say, five to $15 million uh, revenues companies in their marketplace that we know we could grow. Every shops and we could grow them to thirty to sixty million dollars in their marketplace within five or six years, and even then we you know we want them to stay on board as, as leaders as partners, um, and uh, that's kind of the, that's kind of the goal, right? So bringing it'll, it'll be a lot about technology advances in technology that enable to do things faster, higher quality using you know things that we would have never imagined ten years ago, right? So yeah, what I heard in there is that you're touching on a lot of the. Um a lot of things that kind of are trending in the news right now. And we see in our surveys, like one of the things that make pitches most successful is like, if you can attach it to a trend journalists are already interested in versus like kind of operating in a vacuum. So you mentioned AI, I think, you know, that's obviously top of mind for everybody right now. And I think, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something people would typically associate with AI paving, paving parking lots. So I think that can capture people's interests and, and and journalists are curious people, so you you throw that out there. Let's say, tell me more. How does how does AI yeah affect parking yeah. lots and and you know gives you a better shot at earn media? Sure. So that so well, if we if we went to to muckrack, it, it definitely could be a big help to that PR nationally. Is is what we're thinking, right? Nice. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I think All right. Well. Um, yeah. A lot. Of, a lot of lot of potential there for like how you tell the AI story, and then there's all always people like kind of the the underdog story. How are you empowering a mom and pop to, uh, to have a, a good financial event and to, and to you know go up against the uh, the bigger uh, conglomerates? Yeah, and the story and you know, my story is is that also right? I I, I uh, you know we started with nothing, a couple thousand bucks, and even twenty years ago was the way six million dollar company or something like that right and we're, we've grown to be the biggest or second biggest in the country what we do and uh and, we're, and it's a lot of fun but it's basically just striving to, to you know to be world class in our marketplace and bringing you know over the last 20 years bringing more technology to the industry and uh and more you know world class engineering to our industry than anybody else and so again we're, we're confident that, that that same those same tools that got me from you know got us from where we were back even 20 years ago to today, right, can be used in every aspect of, of our growth, you know, growing market by market, really giving unfair competitive advantage to every every business that we are in any marketplace. So, so that's what we want to do. So I'm, I'm coming after, we're going to look, we're going to look for you and, and uh, figure out how we can use your your uh, PR tools to, uh, to help do this as, as Chris and I build kind of like a um, reality show almost, right, on, on how, to, how, to, how to roll up to a billion dollar valuation, right? Um, because I think any any business can do it. What I'm, what I'm going to be doing, um, as long as you have differentiators that that really you can really sell as world, a world class product or service, I, you know, I, I believe you can do it. We're going to be doing it, right. So, yeah, it sounds like an awesome uh, journey, and I think, like you said, there's still very little. I mean, I've always found as the business has gotten bigger, there's actually a lot less resources out there. Because there are lots of people write blog posts about how do you set up your corporate corporation or how do you make your first sale or how do you hire your first employee, but there's very little data out there about like how do you scale from a million to ten million, from ten million to fifty million, and how do you hire executives? Because mm-hmm. generally, the people who once people get to that level, they're not writing blog posts about it or tweeting it. So I think it's a uh, Awesome yeah. thing if you can spread that spread that knowledge because a lot of people are very hungry for it. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that'll be fun stuff to talk about. So yeah, I think as you're saying, there's probably a bunch of different little um, uh, it, 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 points of differentiation that mention to get attention in PR. You know, uh, there's years ago, probably 15 years ago, we started investing in 3D technology to do paving, concrete paving at big parking lots. Today, that that technology dominates the ability to pave super efficient, super high quality, and what we and what we do big concrete parking lots, right? That's still fairly new news. Actually, there's just not a lot of people in the world that do it the way we do, right? But but it's but it's not as big as AI, which we've been investing in for the last seven years in a big way. And AI has changed our industry and changed our opportunities for the future, right? So AI, the AI the AI conversation, if I have it anywhere in front of any type of industry or customer or not otherwise right that that's always something 
and that sparks their interest. Okay, let's talk. Let me hear more. Let me hear more. Right. So like like you're saying, that's probably the, the buzzword that gets you in front of the most people today, right? Uh, but there'll be something tomorrow that'll be that'll be again the next the next thing that people are thinking about that maybe could be used in our industry, which becomes another talking point, right? So. Yeah, well said. I think you're thinking about the right way because, like, I find the biggest downfall that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and and CEOs and other leaders have when it comes to PR is that they get like too myopic or kind of internally focused. So they're just thinking like, how great is my business? Look, my employees are happy and our revenues growing and we have this beautiful office and then they want to go tell a journalist, look, I have this great business. I want you to write about it. And they're not putting themselves in the shoes of the journalist where it's like, well, what's the news? Why, why should I not care? Like the journalists are, you know, they, they have a job to do inform the public. It's not to, not to help the people they write about. So it, it's that like flipping, like you're saying of like how you think about PR where it's like, not what do I like about my business, but what would the public find interesting about my business? What's surprising about it? How does it play into a big trend? Is there an underdog story to it? Is there something you can bring into your story that's going to make it interesting to a wider group of people and make mm-hmm. it new? Yeah. So the fun thing is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. So my my story is about. I, I was laughed at when I wasn't going to college. My buddies you know, called me a ditch digger back a year after Caddyshack came out. Right. That was, you know, world needs. Yeah, my favorite movies, movies, by the way. So Greg, my goal is uh, actually to do the same thing that I was, I was, you know, blessed to be part of taking something, you know, from very small in this great country of America and building a nice, a nice competitive company, um, you know, really going from a ditch digger to a, a CEO and having to act, having to act and, and be and perform like a, a great CEO. And, and that's what, what I've been really excited about in the past 15 years is really mentoring other CEOs to lead my businesses. And, and what I want, I'm really excited to do with this whole brand uh, this you know this ditch, ditch digger road to a billion dollar brand is really creating CEOs right kind of like we do at YPO mentor each other um, you know share experiences with each other to take a somebody that's a mom and pop or you know called a ditch digger to a CEO in their marketplace and and allow them to hopefully dominate their marketplace by being a great CEO and, and building a great business right that's awesome yeah it's great to uh Great to pay it forward and always nice, you know, um, I, I find similar, I don't have, uh, well, only two businesses, not, not nearly as many as you, but even watching leaders within our business, uh, grow and, uh, run their departments and bring a lot of expertise to it. And it makes it, uh, Let's say, tell us about that. Tell us about now you building your business and, and doing what you've done to grow from nothing to where you're at, right? What, what's been the challenges and, and then tell us how you go, how you go about really looking for leaders and, and you know, mentoring leaders and what, you know, what, what, what do you look for in great people and, and, you know, values and core values, let's say, and then how you look, look at um, really, you know, uh, you know, what, what is a leader, right? When, when you think about your business and, and, and how you, you're going to continue to grow, it can't be on Greg's back, right? It's got to be on the strength of your leaders and your, and your, and your culture, right? Tell us about a little about that stuff. Sure. Yeah. So the way is we, we bootstrapped it all the way until, uh, last August when we raised our first uh, outside financing. So we had to be kind of real lean and scrappy in the beginning early on. It was just just a couple of us in figuring out how things, how to do things really efficiently. And the thing that always struck me, and I think that's kind of like misleading about job titles is how it changes over time. So, you know, when you start a company, you give yourself the title CEO, but in reality, you're, you're, Answering customer support emails and taking out the trash from the office. You're really, you're really a ditch digger. Yeah, ditch, ditch digger is the perfect, uh, perfect way to sum it up. Um, you know, so you have this glorified title, but you're doing everything. Particularly if uh, if you bootstrap your business, as I did, or as it sounds like you did. Um, and then uh, I, I found like every couple of years, we you know we've always grown anywhere from like. 50 to 75% year over year in terms of our top line revenue. So that means, you know, every two, at least every two years, we're, you know, we're more than doubling uh, with compound growth. So I found in a way like the job totally, even though the job title stayed the same the whole way, the job description completely changed every couple of years. Cause first it's like, how do I do everything myself? Um, 
then it's, okay, how do I manage five people? How do I manage 10 people? Then like the second you got managing down, now it's, okay, how do I hire managers who are capable of managing others? And then the challenge shifts again to like, how do I hire executives who are actually going to know more about their business function than I do? Uh, you know, CFO who knows more than, about finance than me or a, a, a head of product who knows more about our product development than me. And then still, you know, and then shift my leadership style so that I'm informing them, you know, on, on the vision for where I want the company to go, but I'm no longer kind of teaching them how to do the day-to-day -day elements of their job. So it's, um, I'd say, you know, that's been kind of the biggest uh, challenge is just like evolving as a leader and evolving to do the job well. Kind of, I would always joke like the the faster we grow, the more confident I am because I, you know, the second I'm good at something, we grow. And then I'm, you know, the thing I was good at is irrelevant and delegated down in the org. And then the thing I need to do is something I've never done before. So I have to go figure, figure that out. You have, you have to actually embrace hiring people smarter than yourself, don't you? As you, as you continue to grow. I mean, in, in every, many different aspects of what you do, right? I mean, you feel you're pretty good at something as you built it initially and you did a pretty good job and you're successful, right? You thought you're pretty good at stuff, but then as you get a little bigger, you bring people in there, gosh, you way better to you with so many different things. And and I think, you know, real leaders really understand that they need to continue to find, continue to find people smarter than themselves in every aspect of, of what they're not good at as well as what they're good at, you know? Yeah, well said. It's kind of a humbling thing to know, like no matter what individual skill you have, like there's someone out there better than you at it. And uh, even if you were pretty good at it, you're not going to have the time to focus on it and stay current on the latest trends. So you're going to atrophy at it. And then the other thing I see too is just there's this big element in business where like, you know, if you set up the perfect system in any scale for your business and you double or triple probably going to break in a really bad way, even though it's the perfect system when you set it up and, there, and there's nothing you could have done about it because you set up a system for a company three times the size, it wouldn't have been practical. So it's real no, stuff that's going to happen and have the right that's system, that's systems and people too, right, Craig? I mean, I got, I have so many people that have been so blessed to be on my team, to have, have my team to help me lead and help me do everything. But, you know, I, I, I didn't really think about it at the time, but a lot of the, a lot of the people I'd have probably where I could be capable to be in a number two, three, four position in my business as I continue to grow it. But, you know, I kind of assume that they would be, right? That, you know, we're going to get 10 times the size we are. And you, uh, Joe Fergoli, are going to be my right-hand guy all the way. You, you, you'll be my, my president and CEO, right? I mean, I, those conversations might even happen, right? And and, uh, and anyway, when you when you get to be more mature as a leader, you don't ever count it. You count on people progressing and getting great at what they do, better and better. But doesn't mean they're going to be you know, they're, they're going to be leading your team because chances are if they don't continue to progress at a high level, there's going to be other opportunities to bring people in that, that have been there and done it before, taking your business to a different level. So so it's like nowadays, I'm, I'm not very honest. I say, hey, well, I want you on my team forever. Yeah, if, if you love this industry, love my customers and love the team, I want you forever. Not sure you're, that, that you know, your, your own aptitude and your own uh, passion for the industry will determine where that's at in our team in the future, but man, you know, watch on my team. So a lot, of, a lot of our teammates may never uh, grow on their position a lot. They may grow responsibility and and, and all that, but um, and and hopefully they're still very happy being there. In other cases, you look at people that you didn't expect to really grow much in your in your business at all, and they're they're your you know they're running companies for you, right? So it's you just don't know where the, where the future takes you, depending on what the aptitude and the passion is of those people you bring in, right? Well said, yeah, and it's um, and and that's also where like it becomes a different job, right? Because you're head of X function at a five or ten person company. That just means you're good at doing that, and then that company scales to a few hundred people. Being head of X department means managing managers and and strategic plans and stuff that has nothing to do with the skill set you brought to the table as an individual yeah. contributor. And yet we, you know, we feel like, oh, people should match, like you said, you know, our, I, I think entrepreneurs being optimists, we think like, oh, yeah, of course that person can do, can go all the way. 
and you, I think it's good to be optimistic about them, but also to be realistic and know like, you know, I hope they can, but there's a very good chance uh, it's not right for them. And, you know, maybe they don't even want to, right? Like there are some, you know, there are people who are great Michelin star chefs and so they wouldn't want to be the head of food services for Burger King. You know, it's like they, they want to run a sure. kitchen themselves. So I think it's also um, people's egos get in the way sometimes. And it's like, it might just be that they're a great player on a startup team and they should go find the next startup, you know, not that, you know, not necessarily that like they, they got to scale on that function forever at the same company or, you know, sure. maybe have this humility to know like, okay, I want to stay on the boat, but there, there needs to be a, a vice president or a C-level person brought in on top of me who I can learn from. And who who's going to help guide the uh, the ship in my department? And a, and a great CEO probably realizes when you know, when he's at the end that his or her skis too, right? So I'm not the CEO of my companies anymore, and and I kind of liked it. I like being the CEO of my company and, and overseeing my companies. Today, today, I my son is actually the CEO overseeing all of our companies. He's a YP or also, um, but uh, we have CEOs and, and presidents and general managers that run each company, and and uh, really. I, I wouldn't be capable of running any of these companies probably, probably nowadays. I, I, I could be I'd probably do a decent job, okay? But but I, I don't think I'd be as good as most of them, right? And so now my role is to be a coach and to be a chairman of our board and, and be a coach. And man, that's a lot of fun, actually. I love I love doing that more than anything. So I'm in a in perfect, perfect position that I don't have to be the day-to-day -day CEO anymore. And, and again, my, my son is way better than I was, in my opinion. You know, he's 35 years old. Um, I've got other CEOs same way in our in these businesses that are unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you I could match their energy or their their producti productivity or le their leadership in their business. So that's a beautiful place to be. But we all need to understand we all have a set of skis that we're built for unless we really, you know, are passionate about extending those skis to be able to, you know, you know be even more valuable in that position. We probably need to replace ourselves eventually if we want, if we really care about our customers being served better. And our, and our our teammates being served better and in a, in a growing environment we may not we, we need to, we need to kind of figure out where where our skis at too right well said and i guess we all kind of wear all those of us that are uh ceos of businesses we started it's like we wear two hats there's the the hat of the ceo and the hat of the uh the owner and it's, uh, it's hard to have that performance review with yourself right <laughs> yeah. it's like you get paid once the business is at scale you make a lot more as the owner who owns mostly equity than you do as the CEO who gets whatever salary you pay yourself. Um, yeah, well, do you, do you have a board of you do, out? You have a board of advisors, Greg, or no? Uh, yeah, well, I'd, I'd always had like an informal board of advisors. Uh, I never had like a formal one, but I have a lot of advisors I would go to, entrepreneurs who'd been further down the path than me and, and CEO professional CEOs too, uh, you know, of course, YPO and my YPO forum. And then now we actually have a formal board of directors since we raised our first, uh, funding, sure. uh, last August. So make, make, you know, I, I have a great uh, board and, uh, our team has a great board of advisors and, and we trust them and we, we, we listen to them, right? If, if you don't listen to them, if they're very valuable, they're great leaders, you don't listen to them. You're not going to keep very long, right? So we listen to them, we uh, we respect them, and they're they're amazing leaders that have done amazing things in their life. Um, but but you know they're they're the ones that tell me, hey Rabbi, you know what, you kind of suck at that, right? I mean you you're not very good at that. You need to find something better. I'm like, wait, man, that was pretty good, right? But either way, I think that's important to have people you trust that can tell you the good news as well the bad news as well as the good news, right? And uh, um, I'm, I'm confident my board my board advisors can tell me if I want to jump back on my businesses, they say. You stay the hell away from that. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, it's it's great to have people you, that you trust around you that that tell you the, the the bad news as well as the good news, right? And that's what hopefully your board of directors will do for you, as well as 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 well as mine does. So, it's fun. Uh, and I think uh, you can yeah. do that. I think you do that at any level too, right, Greg? I think you know if my friends are run a five or ten million dollar company, I would always I, I today now, and I didn't do this myself, right? But I'd always advise them go out and find three three friends that you know are great leaders. That, that love you enough that would sit on a board and just meet with on a, you know, two, three times a year basis. And then buy a lunch, buy them dinner, lay out, you know, be transparent with them and tell them where, where they think your blind spots are, right? I think if, 
any any person would be very well served to do that. And I, and I, I was not, a, I was kind of afraid to do it or didn't think it was had a lot of value back when I was a smaller business. But man, I wish I would have done it when I was a $2 million business, let alone, you know, I probably was $100 million in revenue before I actually, I actually did that, you know? So I, I, I think it's something I'd always recommend. It doesn't cost you anything if there are people who really care about you, maybe a dinner, or, you know, lunch, dinner, or whatever, right? But um, I, I think it's important. Well said, yeah, I found, uh, I, I feel like there's kind of a fellowship almost among, even if you're not in a group like YPO, or I was in EO before that, which is a similar, mm-hmm. similar group yeah. for smaller companies. And but, but even outside of that, I always found, you could really ask any other entrepreneur, and I think we all feel like this need that people helped us to get there, and and you know we want it. we can never we never really help pay it back to the people who helped us, except we can pay it forward to the the next entrepreneurs. And I always found back when I was going for advice when we were small, like I couldn't even buy them lunch because they'd always grab the uh, <laughs> bill before I could. So you know, I would get free advice and a free lunch uh, most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, invite invite your wealthiest friends out to to uh, to get some mentorship from them. They might pick up the, t- the tab. I like that. That's how you bootstrap. That's right. That's right. So tell me, tell me, uh, you know, kind of core values that you've been by there. You guys, you guys have written values, core values, or value statement, mission statements, all that kind of stuff. Tell us about a little of that if you, if you do. Yeah, we do. One of our one of our big ones is ownership. So really giving people a lot of autonomy, kind of letting them all of our employees like own a KPI. Um, kind of giving them control over their day. We we kind of pioneered remote work, where we uh we we'd been doing remote work for uh well before the pandemic. Um, back uh, um, you know, ever since the start of the company, really half the team we used to have an office, but half the team was elsewhere other than our headquarters, which uh, used to be in New York City. And then even the people who were in New York near our office, we never required them to come in. So on the average day, maybe only half the people would show up and it was up to each person. They didn't need approval from their manager. Some people would come in once a month. Some people would come in every day. Uh, it, it gets kind of embarrassing sometimes if a, a customer came by because like the office would be half empty. They'd be like, "Greg, are you are you doing okay? Did you just lay off half the people?" I'm like, "No, we're doing great. We're going fast. This people are working hard. They're working from home." But we were able to make that work uh, early on because we knew we had this kind of core value of ownership and that everybody, like, we'd never want to hire the kind of person where we had to be like, "Hey, I thought you were going to get in at nine. You came in at nine oh five. Or you know the kind of person where it's like, hey, I see you're distracted on your computer. I need you to work harder. We always want to hire the kind of people who are really driven themselves, or we'd have to. We want to hire the people, the kind of people we have to tell them like, hey, stop working. You should, you know, you should maintain balance in your life. But people who are really passionate about the mission of the company. So um, that really served us well because then when the um, pandemic hit. We were we already had this team that was used to working remotely. That's awesome. We had KPIs set up for everybody. We we long been using the OKR system of objective key results. Uh, it was pioneered by Andy Grove uh, to to kind of set the pace for every quarter and making sure that we're getting what we need done. We had we had Zoom and Slack before the pandemic, so when it hit, it was just like you know I just, I just sent out a note on Sunday. I'm like, hey, nobody come to the office tomorrow. That was that was pretty much it, in terms of like changing. Yeah, the business. that's awesome. That's awesome. So we we ran our business. We every you know all all hands on deck. Pretty much in our industry, it's kind of common, right? Construction services and all that. But we have plenty mm-hmm. of people that we found out can work out from work from home, and through and, and through all that, we did do more you know more work at home and all that. And, and today, a lot more people definitely work virtually than ever before. We a lot of our businesses where. Um, so big chunk of our people have to show up to work, their, their construction services or whatever. And then, uh, and then we have a, a similar business where half of, half of our teammates can work from home. And then for sure, our, I also own, a, own some office space, some op- an office building and some office space, all the buildings stuff. And that market has gotten, gotten their butts kicked, right? My office building in my own office is one third occupied from what it was, right? So wow. of course, our 100,000 100, square foot building I own is about the same. So I'm losing tenants. It's a tougher industry, but it is what it is. That's just the way business, you know, continues on. And it's 
tend to be, like you're saying, much more virtual world than it ever was before. Um, so, so hey, I mean, we only got a few more minutes left. I want, I want, uh, um, and maybe we got to do another. We got to get you on another fact block because we, we we just squeezed a, enough juice out of you just to get us excited about about your future and where you're going. Um, Joey, Joey, and, and Ben, I, Chris, Chuck, I'm in on uh, on different things. You're you're picking up. You got a question? One or two questions? We got a little bit of time still. Hi, Greg. Uh, it was amazing hearing your story in the background. Uh, I just wanted to uh, ask, what would who are your like important mentors as going up in your businesses? Thanks, that's a great question. So, yeah, I had you know too many to to recite, um, but I'll just shout out some of them. One one was uh, Fred Seibert, who is um, we'd raised a very small angel round where you had like five people each put in put in collectively under under a couple hundred k. And he was one of them. He was a former uh, president of Hanna-Barbera, uh, one of the founding execs at MTV, been in entertainment a long time and just had like a great perspective on where media was going, how to build companies and deal with folks. He was also the first investor in Tumblr. So kind of got a great, great view into the early uh, social media world. Um, Another one's Marta Fordle. She was one of our early investors. She um, was a digital executive at Hachette, the uh, uh, magazine company, brought a lot of their magazines online, was the first female partner at Mercer Consulting, and also just had a great take on how to kind of keep scaling the business and staying motivated. But there's probably you know at least a couple dozen people, and depending on the stage of the company, it was that I would lean on other people, but I found it was just such a valuable way for me to like get out of the minutia of the business because I was so focused on operating. I don't often get like really fixated on these small things, some costs going up, some feature I wanted to build, and then talking to uh, mentors and getting pulled out of that. It was always you know getting thinking again about like, hey, what what are the really big things I could do to grow the business and change the. Uh, change the trajectory, which is often something totally different than what you get fixated on when you're just kind of grinding away at uh, operating your company. Okay. Thank well, you so much. So, so Chris, I want you to end, end with uh, this stuff you picked up. Any, any uh, uh, there are a bunch of ideas and things that I picked up when it comes to amazing you know, loss of success that, that Greg has come upon here. Again, how cool is it? This ditch digger that was knocking on doors at 14 years old, selling uh, websites to businesses in the, in the 90s, right? To uh, to to this venture voice, and that uh, and then he went they went to the, the the Shorty Awards, to Muckrack, and, and now a SaaS product, which is invaluable to the to the to, to his industry. Um, what what an amazing story! Tell tell us what you picked up here, Chris. Yeah, Greg, you uh, you seem to have the Midas touch, my friend. You uh, you're figuring out the pulse. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Uh, so I'm just gonna read a, a couple quick. Highlights of, of things I picked up. Gary likes me to find the kind of secrets of success. Um, so earned, you, you said earned media is a lot more efficient and effective than paid media. Uh, shaping the media narrative matters. Journalists want to hear from entrepreneurs and not just uh, from your PR person. The fat, I, I love this. The faster you grow, the more confident you become. Because just when you started getting good at it, you're working on a whole new set of skills. I'm actually going to incorporate this into my own business. Uh, find two to three great friends to show your business plans here for feedback and to help point out your blind spots. Um, don't be the micromanager. Just hire people who are self-driven. Um, thanks so much, Greg. Where, where can folks find out more about you and, and all the cool stuff you're working on? Yeah, well, on, on social media, it's easy. On, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm just at Gregory. On, uh, they can look me up on LinkedIn with, with my name uh, there too. Unfortunately, I didn't get a call using. That's amazing. I feel like that's. Uh, I didn't even know that I wanted that, but now I I want the ad, Chris. <laughs> Go after it, and then and then you can find uh, our our company Muckrack M U C K R A C K dot com. And I should plug too. Even if you don't have any, uh, if you're listening, you don't have any money yet to buy our software. We have a free course on how to do 
media relations, basically the, the part of PR that, that involves reaching out to journalists. If you just Google Muckrack Academy um, or go muckrack.com slash academy, you can take this free two-hour course, get certified, or you can have your marketing person or someone on your team take this course, and that will teach them everything they need to know about how do you reach out to journalists and podcasters and other folks who can give you free publicity. Love it. I love it. Greg, you're awesome, man. I really appreciate you being on. I want to uh, grab your cell phone. If you could, if maybe we'll go back and forth, get a cell phone for me. I want to follow up with you too. Being a YPO or in Miami on there, uh, you know, fairly often as well as I want to dig into this and see how we can partner and and, and uh, use your products for for our uh, our story as we go forward. So, thanks for everything. Hey, I'll, for I'll buy you a cafecito when you get here. You'll buy all right, just like your mentors. I'm going to take you out, pick your brand. You're going to buy me. You're going to buy me what? Awesome. Wait, wait, wait. What's a casito? Oh, a cafecito. It's like the Cuban oh, uh, espresso. All right. You have to right. a little bit of milk, condensed milk in it. That sounds awesome. Greg, thank you for being on this year's CEO today. I really appreciate your time, man. What a great story. And uh, God, God bless you going forward. You're going to continue to do great things. And thank, thanks for uh, thanks for allowing us to, to have your time today. And let's follow up uh, between you and I. So until next time, th- thanks, for, thanks everybody for listening in. Uh, it's Gary Rabine, Ditch Digger CEO, my buddies Chris and Joey, and we're out. See ya. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Ditch Digger CEO. Cans, paper routes, mowing lawns, careless hands. Daddy had six kids to raise. Factory and night labor, my day. Learn by example, not the words you say. See